Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. You don't need to be defined by what somebody did to you. We learn to be defined by what somebody did for us. The sacrifice and the exchange that Jesus did. And instead, a lot of us like to make excuses for our behavior. We like to blame it on someone else. We like to excuse ourselves from so much. We like to shift blame. We like some are very passive aggressive in this and some are very aggressive and not passive at all. But as the great evangelist D.L. Moody once said, and I quote, excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men off to sleep in. This is amazing grace. There are more ways to communicate today than there ever has been. From the spoken word to texting, email, phone calls, even writing a good old-fashioned letter. But maybe you've noticed, with all the advances, many still struggle with really good communication. And that's certainly true with God. So today on Abounding Grace, we're going to fine-tune our prayer lives and notice the power of prayer along the way. It's with Daniel chapter 11 in view that we bring you today's study from Pastor Ed Taylor. It says, this entire land will become a desolate wasteland. Israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Then after 70 years of captivity are over, I'll punish the king of Babylon and his people for their sins, says the Lord, and I will make the country of the Babylonians a wasteland forever. I will bring upon them all the terrors I have promised in this book, all the penalties announced by Jeremiah against the nations, and many nations and great kings will enslave the Babylonians just as they enslaved my people. I'll punish them in proportion to the suffering they cause my people. So Daniel read that and knew that they were at the end of the captivity. The end was up. He's an old man now, an older man. He had lived through it all and now he's seeing the end. And I just sense in our generation that we're seeing the end. And often we'll refer to that as being in the last days. But let me give you another perspective. We are eyewitnesses of seeing the end. And you know, there's a few things in my life that I didn't really believe I would be the generation that would see the end of. I don't mean the, the end times. I've always believed that I would be a part of that urgent return of the Lord. But there's some things in the practical realm of my life where I just didn't think I would be the one to see it with my own eyes. And there's one in particular. I don't want to share it with you. But you can, maybe you have one in your life where you're just watching something dissolve, you're watching something dissipate, you're watching something die, and you just didn't think you'd ever see that. You thought, man, this thing's going to last forever, it's just going to go on forever, it's going to be great, and then you're watching it dissolve. And Daniel, he's watching the end. He's watching the end of captivity. He's coming to the end, and it's his life that he gets to see. And in this case, it's a good end in many ways because captivity is over. And God begins to work again with the nation of Israel. And his heart's rejoicing. In my case, I'm watching something, I've seen something come to an end that is not bringing me joy at all. 
and it brings me heartache. I was even on the phone this morning, uh, called a friend on the way to the office today just to talk about some things and just say, man, it is so discouraging. And, and it is, we just face these things in our lives. It could be just so discouraging. Daniel's on the other end. He's coming to the end, but this is a good end. And what does it do? It causes him to pray. And so notice in verse four, it says, it says, I pray to the Lord my God and confess. So I'm gonna give you a few things that are gonna help us understand prayer here. We'll cover a few today and then we'll cover some next time. So let's look at effective prayer in the life of Daniel. Let me give you number one. Effective prayer initiates with serious worship. Effective prayer starts with, you could say, worship. Come back to verse three. I turned to the Lord and I pleaded with him. You might be reading in the New King James, I set my face. Like it came with a commitment. And it came with prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting go together. I think I want to reintroduce and come in a future study and just talk about and be reminded about this topic of fasting. It is a lot, just like memorizing the Bible and putting God's word in our heart, how it's not very popular today, neither is fasting. And I mean, if you think, I don't need to ask for hands or anything, but when's the last time you had a real fast before the Lord? Fast a day, 10 days, 25 days, where you really gave something up for the Lord. Maybe a full meal, full food fast, just water only, or, or you're really laying out the different ways that you can tell your flesh no. And you can do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. You think that there's prayer lacking. What, what really is lacking in the church today is fasting. And not just because the church called a fast. From time to time we do that. But because the Holy Spirit called a fast. Remember Jesus said, when you fast. He didn't say when you think about it, when you want to do it. So when you, it's expected that we fast. The abstaining of food or something in order to feed our spirit. So he sets his prayer and his prayer is directed toward God. And that's key. He starts out, I prayed, verse 4, to the Lord my God. His prayer is directed toward God. He says, O Lord, you're great and awesome. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commandments. So notice, verse 4, he addresses toward God. Verse 7, Lord, you are in the right. Verse 14, he says, Picking up in verse 14. Therefore the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right. Verse 15. O Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people. These would all be wonderful verses just in a new worship song. Extolling the virtues of God in his awesome presence. That's why, we, that's why we begin every service with worship and song. It sets the tone. Puts us in a worshipful mode. It's our response to God. And who he is and getting our minds focused on him. And if we don't start with worship, we start with Bible study. The Bible study starts with prayer. Let's all just remember, folks, you're not here for the pastor. You're not here for Bible study. You're here to worship God. Your heart is to be directed toward God. We're to be thinking about God, singing to God, studying what God has to say, communing with God in the elements of communion, ministering to one another. How? In the name of God. And praying together, where we're coming together as a group. Think about it. It's so powerful. We come together as a group, and we're all talking about God together. That's powerful stuff. And the church has abandoned these spiritual disciplines. The church has abandoned the things that God blesses. And so we start, as Daniel does, hey, this is all about him. And that's how he starts his prayer, with a worshipful heart directed toward God. Secondly, you're going to notice scattered throughout this prayer that effective prayer includes sincere confession. 
Now think about this for a second. Many prayers don't necessarily involve confession as much as they involve requests. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, please go over here. Please take care of this. Do this. Please do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. And lacking that sense, okay, now that my heart is set on God, then like Isaiah, I come to the conclusion, woe is me. (laughs) Woe is me. If we come to a gathering like this and we don't come into a, a fullness of understanding who God is, then we are missing out on the reality of God reminding us, woe is me. Not in a condemning way, not to be feel beat up all the time, kind of maybe, maybe you were raised that way, always being put down. God doesn't put you down. He lifts you up. But you'll never agree with God to be lifted up until you acknowledge that you need to be lifted up, that there's sin in my life, that I'm not a perfect person, and I'm not just a bumper sticker that I'm not a perfect person. God's not finished with me yet, but rather I've sinned against a holy and a righteous God that hasn't stopped since I've been born again. I haven't become sinless. You haven't become sinless. In your life, you're going to see a pattern of sinning less for sure. But you haven't stopped sinning. And you carry those things unconfessed. You begin to put a load on your shoulders that you were never designed to carry. God has removed that from you, the guilt and shame. And over and over, Daniel's here. And what does he keep saying? And look at verse 5. We have sinned. Did you notice he says we We have sinned and done wrong. Verse 5, we have rebelled against you, scorned your commands and regulations. Verse 6, we have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you're right. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true for all of us, including the people of Judah and the Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far. Wherever you have driven us because our disloyalty to you, O Lord, verse 8, we and our kings, princes and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice." So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. Have you got the point yet? When's the last time you heard a prayer like that in your own lips? You you include yourself in the sins of our church. You include yourself in the sins of the American church, of the world church, of the Western church, of the lukewarm church, of the... No, it's always someone else, but not you. And God wants you to know that it's we have sinned. Not you have sinned. We have sinned. We collectively. I love this about Daniel. Daniel came to Babylon when he was a kid. It wasn't his sin. Personally, individually, that brought on the captivity of the Babylonians. It was his dad, his granddad. It wasn't him. He received favor coming to Babylon. He received protection coming to Babylon. He lived a faithful, upright life in Babylon. But when it comes down to it, and he sees the destruction of his country, and he sees the destruction of his people, and he sees the destruction of his family, he sees destruction of those connected to him, his prayer was, we, 
we. A few years ago, I took out my pen and I started to circle all the we's, all the us's, the ours in his prayer. And then I did it in the New King James. I came up to over 40 times. He acknowledges that he's part of the problem. How many things would be settled in our church if we would just start by acknowledging that we're part of the problem? How many marriages would just get back on track if both the offense, offending and the offended party, they both just said, we're part of the problem. It's not all your fault. We have a lot of problems. But instead, by the time we get into our office, it's always, he did this, she did that, he doesn't want to do this, she doesn't want to. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm sure as bad as it is, if you guys will commit to seek the Lord together and allow him to heal and forgive and work in your hearts, God can save your marriage. He's not going to save your marriage by pointing the finger and pushing away and blame, 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 excuse, 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 which was another topic in our time as a team this morning. It's so easy to make excuses, but what we need to do is take personal responsibility for ourselves. And then once we recognize in our own relationship with God that we have sinned, that once we can say, I have sinned, then we can say, we have sinned. Once I admit for myself that I have failed God, then I can say we have failed God. And that's the language that, that when we begin to say we, then we can work on that together. But it's very difficult when there's a lack of cooperation. When this church picks on that church and this pastor doesn't like that pastor and, and this husband doesn't like that wife and that wife doesn't like her husband. And before you know it, all this division, all the, then, then what happens? Where there's division, it's going to fall. And, and I'm just convinced with more and more as I get closer to seeing the Lord face to face that when God looks down upon us, he doesn't see our human divisions. I mean, he does see them because he's God. And when he sees them, he calls us to repentance. Like in 1 Corinthians, he tells Paul to tell them, what are you guys doing? I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of, I'm of, I'm of. Listen, this is one body. We are part of the body of Christ. And we're just a little small sliver of the body of Christ. And we need to recognize that we're not better or worse than anyone else. We are who we are by the grace of God. He does what he does through us by his grace. He chooses to give abundance, it's by his grace. He chooses to take away, it's by his grace. And we're not any better than church down the street or, the, the, again, that, that church that preaches. I, I would say that we are better than a group, gathering of people where the pastor's teaching false doctrine. Absolutely. But I'm talking about in relationship, all the one true churches. Like if, if, if we would just recognize that the word is we, man, we can make some great progress. We could learn from Daniel. Daniel, Daniel, stop praying like that. It wasn't you. And Daniel would go, what are you talking about? Of course it was me. Of course it was me. Jesus was put on that cross because of me. Because of my sin. And you're not a worse sinner than I am. And I'm not a worse sinner than you. We're all in the same desperate need for the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. And maybe you avoided some of the sin that I didn't avoid. And my testimony is pretty gnarly and yours is not. But how many sin, how much sin does it take to be separated from God? You were born into sin. And if you avoided some of the nonsense that I wasn't able to avoid, I'm happy for you. Take my word for it. You don't need to go there. You've been blessed by avoiding great pain and sorrow in your life. I think of a lot of us like to pray opposite the way of Daniel. Maybe even in some of your groups, as you're learning to pray, you might be with someone that's just, just kind of bitter. And their prayer is all about someone else. 
And you know, I've shared this before, but bitterness is a lot like bad breath, is it not? Everybody knows you have it, but you. And it's just so obvious. And there you are, and, and you know, you're really hurt. That's where it comes from. You've been hurt. You've been offended. It, some kind of misunderstanding, a mismax expectation. And if you and I, we don't learn how to deal with those in our lives, we're going to hurt a lot of people because hurting people have a tendency to hurt people. And, and so our prayer lives aren't we, it's they. But that's just, those are just words of division. And that we, we would come to the place like Daniel and we recognize we've done this, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. God is just like, boom, right there, ready to work. But instead, what happens? We like to press the issue all the way to the very bitter end. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. They made the mistake. They're the ones. Not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. I just did what I thought I was supposed to do. And doesn't that sound a lot like our culture today? There's a phrase for that. They call it a victim mentality. And you just play the victim. And even though something's been done to you, you're not a victim because Jesus Christ took the penalty for that sin upon himself. And the Bible teaches the exact opposite. We are not victims in Christ. We are victors. He has given us strength. And even in the worst of the worst condition, you don't have to be identified by what someone did to you. You can be identified by what someone did for you. Did you guys write that down? I don't see a lot of note taking right now. Like you don't need to be defined by what somebody did to you. We learn to be defined by what somebody did for us. The sacrifice and the exchange that Jesus did. And instead, a lot of us like to make excuses for our behavior. We like to blame it on someone else. We like to excuse ourselves from so much. We like to shift blame. We like some are very passive aggressive in this and some are very aggressive and not passive at all. But as the great evangelist D.L. Moody once said, and I quote, excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men off to sleep in. And you just never make any progress when you make excuses. Or as one person said, and I picked this up over the years, if you get good at making excuses, that's all you'll be good for. If you, be, if you become good at making excuses in your life, then that's all you'll become good for. And that's not the will of God for our lives. Daniel's mature here. And as he initiates his prayer in worship, then he continues his prayer in sincere confession, confessing the sins. Lord, it's us. We did it. Forgive us. Forgive me. I mean, look at the things he says. Look at verse 5. Real quick here. He says, we have sinned, done wrong, rebelled. We've rebelled against you. We've scorned your commands. Words in the New King James, sinned, iniquity, wickedly, rebelled, departed. Look at verse 8. Lord, we are covered with shame because we sinned against you. Look at verse 10. We have not obeyed. Look at verse 11. All Israel has disobeyed, turned away, refusing to listen. He doesn't say, we all have character flaws. You know God. We've got this codependent problem. We made a little boo-boo here and there. He says, no, 70 years of captivity is because of our sin. And we need you to forgive us. And his confession was sincere calling it sin. Let me just say, I know there's a discomfort when it comes to sin. I know that people, that word, 
I like to use that word much later in the conversation with someone than earlier because I want at least to take two, three minutes to build some trust with me. So I'll use words like mistake, errors, stumblings. I'll use a lot of things that people will agree with me. Have you ever made mistakes? Sure, I make mistakes all the time. I made one yesterday at work. And have you ever stumbled? Have you ever hurt somebody's feeling? I, I want to walk them along. Yes, yes, yes. Well, guess what? What you call stumbling's mistakes, God calls sin. Oh, now you're not one of those ones. Yeah, I am actually. And, and listen, that this is the good news about sin. The good news about sin is that God has given a remedy for sin to eradicate it, completely remove it to completely remove the pain and the penalty of it and eventually completely remove the act of sin from our lives when we shed this earthly body and we wake up in the presence of God. Sin will be gone and completely taken care of. The mistakes and the things, those, those, those are not under the blood of Jesus Christ. Sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ. He, rele he releases from addictions. He releases from pain, bitterness. He gives a release from hopelessness and loneliness. All of those areas are provided by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so until you come clean with the reality that you've sinned against a holy and a righteous God, you're going to continue on your own way, making up your own religion, only intensifying the consequences and difficulties of what you're going through right now. You've got to come clean. You have to come clean. There's just no way around it. Being in this room, you're almost there, but you've got to come clean. Listening to this on some Christian radio station, I know it's a trip. You're not listening to the rock music. You're listening to this Christian radio station. You've got to come clean. You're listening to this because somebody sent you a link and click and YouTube, and now you're, you've got to come clean. And the way you come clean is by confessing your sins. You repent of them. You acknowledge like this guy Daniel did thousands of years ago. We have sinned. And you come to God and say, I have sinned. And it's the most freeing confession you'll ever make in your life. Because what you've been trying to get a handle on in your life is actually not as complicated as you think it is. It's not as complicated and as convoluted as all your life feels right now. The root cause of your life is your rebellion against God. And the root cause of the problem in all of our lives is our rebellion against God. And yet he doesn't save groups. He saves people one by one. Even as I was reminded today, that thief on the cross, what glorious words this must have been to hear in his final breaths on earth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> oh, man. What freeing words. Something transacted between Jesus Christ hanging on a Roman cross and a thief hanging on a Roman cross. Something transaction in the spiritual realm there that he was born again hanging on a cross that spiritual life was given to him in his last moments of life. Pastor Ed Taylor is developing his study of Daniel right now on Abounding Grace. Thanks for taking part in today's Bible study. To hear it again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can hear us through our app. Simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. We couldn't be more excited about the resource we picked out for you this month. It's a book by Max Lucado called In the Grip of Grace. The message of the world is try harder and work smarter. You've got it in you. You can do it. But the message of the Bible is something entirely different. 
In essence, we're told, stop striving and being self-sufficient, but rather land in the arms of a God who loves you and be refreshed by His grace. Dive deep into the riches of God's grace as you read, In the Grip of Grace. And we'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. We want this radio ministry to be the sort of ministry that God uses too. And that's our prayer. It's our heart's desire. If you'd like to get behind what we're doing and offer a one-time gift or ongoing support, we would sure appreciate it. This would be a good time to hear from you. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com or, again, call 877-30-GRACE. Ed Taylor is the pastor at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, and we invite you to join us online for a service. Whether you live hundreds of miles away, you're out of town on vacation, or sick and can't leave your home, the live stream is always there for you. Go online to calvaryco.church. Saturdays at 6 p.m., Sundays at 8.45 and 10.45 in the morning. There's a midweek service, too, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Again, we're at calvaryco.church. And then look for online campus. Well, that's all the time we have for today. But come back next time when Pastor Ed Taylor will resume our series in Daniel on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.